this morning. It's nothing, nothing new, but I want us to turn our attention quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's a scripture that we read, and it all ties in, I guess, with everything I just shared a little bit, but bring it a little bit closer to home to us. And if you profess to be a Christian, if you're a child of God and you're here, and we're here to partake in communion and celebrate the Lord's death and proclaim His death until He comes, as Paul says, we're going to read this passage that we almost every time we have communion we read. And we're going to just, I'm going to break it down and just give us a few challenges this morning because communion is our focus today. I don't know if this is a sermon. I don't know if this is a lesson. I don't know what this is. But it's the Word of God. I'll leave it at that. And so I just want to share with you what's on my heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23 to 28, the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And we'll stop there this morning. You know, when we come to communion, we have said this before, and I've said this before, and it's honestly, I'm just, I'm just talking from the heart this morning. I don't know, man. I, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, because I'm burdened by this. I'm really burdened by it. And it's simply this. It's that we don't know how to take and partake in the Lord's Supper. What do you mean? I come once a month, we grab our cups, we open it up, we eat it, and we're good. We miss out so much on the depth, the riches of our relationship with Jesus as we partake as a, the body of Christ, as members of his body, and we take that bread and we take that cup and we drink and we eat and remember proclaiming his death, right? We, we read that. But there's so much there. But we go through and it's like this ritual. And it's just this quick bang, bang thing. And then we move on. And it's like, it's almost as if it, I don't, I'm sorry to say it, but it means nothing. It's powerful. It's something Jesus showed us that we ought to do and we do regularly. And we follow his example and his lead because there's great value and power in the Lord's Supper. Look, if we, unless we respond to that call and the challenges that Paul gives us here in this scripture, we will not experience the closeness that we can have with God during this time. It just becomes something to do. It's, it's, but, but it requires on our part intentionality and commitment. And today, starting now, as we prepare ourselves to participate, I want to give you these calls or challenges of communion, the Lord's Supper. When we read this text, I see a few things. I see first that in communion or the Lord's Supper, it challenges us to first of all, see ourselves as we really are. 
Now, I'm not talking about examining ourselves. We're going to finish with that. I'm starting with to see ourselves as we really are. Our true image, who we really are. Verses 24 to 25, you may have read this many times over the years if you're a Christian, where Jesus says, and, when he had, and Paul says, when Jesus had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also supper, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The body and the blood. Why? Why? Because we have to view ourselves as you really are in the first place that Jesus came in the flesh as a human being to die for you, to shed his blood. That's what it's all about. Listen, forget the outward stuff. All right? Start in the heart. Just resist the temptation. The act that we put on or the front that we put on and what we're doing, go to the heart and start there and look deep and examine and look and, and, and see who you really are there. goes hand in hand with the last point I'll make later on. But go deep in your heart. Listen, here's the truth. I hate to break it to you, but I cannot go against Scripture. We are not the good people that we think we are. We're not. We're not. We fool ourselves because we think we've done good, helpful things and, 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 and pushing forward and, and strengthening the welfare of, welfare of others, whether it's clothing them or feeding them or financially supporting or other things that we do. We're kind, we're good, and it's all this subjective basis of what that even means so many times. But we're not as good as we think we are. You know, there's four views that you can have and four views of you and your true image, who you really are. The world around you, first of all, views you and it makes determinations or conclusions about you based on the image that you project. Some of us are really good at projecting images that we're all okay. Some of us don't care and we project who we really are and we don't care that people see we're miserable. And then we do nothing about it. And we stay there. We're not that good. We also have to remind ourselves that those closest to us, they see us in a certain way as well. And you know what? They know us a little better. Such as your family, your spouse. They know you. They know you. Then there's this image that is known that you project and that is really the real you that is known by you yourself. You yourself. And you know that. And nobody else knows that except the fourth, which is God. God knows everything about you. Kay was singing about that and declaring that as we were just praising God and reminding us as the Spirit was leading and, and just pointing and, and, and poking that finger in that place and saying, God, you see it all. You still love us, but you want us to change. You still love us. You welcome us in. You don't want us to stay in the same place. You know it all, God. What are you? Who are you this morning? It was mentioned in... I was just, I, I get a kick out of it because this morning in Bible study, there's so much that was mentioned that actually overlaps and is repeated here in what I had written down for the sermon this past week. 
But, I, but Isaiah, he himself in chapter 6, when he saw God and he realized who he was, it was not pretty at all. He realized how minuscule, how depraved, how sinful he was. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight. Talking about God. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who, who, and to him who we must give account. God sees and God knows everything. What act are you putting on? I ask you again. You can't fool God. You can't fool him. There's no way you can fool him. So here's the thing. Because we have to see ourselves as we really are, do this. As we prepare ourselves from communion, don't ignore sin in your life. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Don't fool yourself. God says that at best, if I could even put it that way, it's not even just to say it that way, but at best, our righteousness is as filthy rags. In Isaiah chapter 64, it's filthy. And I won't get into the graphic nature of what he's really talking about there. Not suitable for maybe younger ears. It's disgusting. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't measure up. Don't fool yourself. Don't ignore sin in your life. Be on guard. Be on guard. Even now, when you start to see yourself for who you really are. Because our nature, the battle, even though you may have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's that sinful nature battling. And our nature, that nature craves sin. It does. And it's always fighting against us and rearing its ugly head and saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. The Apostle James says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Not my words. It's the truth. It's the Word of God. It's not good. Be on guard. Deal with sin. See yourself for who you really are. Remember that Jesus died because of your sins. You're so mean, Pastor Bob. Not. It's the truth. It's the best thing you can hear. It's the best thing I can hear. That Jesus died because of your sins. That's why we have the bread and we have the cup. We have the blood and the body. I gave you my body. I spilt my blood. That's what he says. Take, drink, take, eat. He came in the first place because we need to see ourselves for who we really are. We were depraved and we're still prone to sin. And remember that Jesus died for your sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 tells us that. And 1 Peter chapter 2, 24, Peter says that he himself bore our sins on the tree, on the cross. Our, your sin, my sin. That's why he was there. Hebrews chapter 9, 22 declares, and it's a great, great scripture, and it, and it harkens back to the, the, the law and Leviticus and a lot that's going on in the Old Testament with sacrifices and the washing away and the covering for sins. And basically it says there that if there's no bloodshed, there's no forgiveness of sins. Jesus shed His blood because of our sins so they could be washed away and we could be made white as snow. Sin must be paid for by death.
Don't forget. Don't forget that as you, you see yourself for who you really are, that even if you're a Christian this morning, before we approach that table or, or the, the, the Lord's Supper, don't forget that you are and must be totally dependent on God's grace. There's nothing else you can depend on. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Nothing else. By the grace of God. And His grace towards me was not in vain, he said. And on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. And he was talking about the other apostles and disciples because he thought that he was the least of the apostles and everything he had done. And when God saved him, and he says, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me that does everything in him. See yourself as who you are. You can't make yourself better. It's all by the grace of God. See yourself as you are. You're not all powerful and invincible and you're going to go through and be Mr. or Mrs. Righteousness and, and show everybody what it's all about. It's all by the grace of God. See yourself for who you really are. Secondly, communion challenges us to walk the walk and not just talk about it. And there's something interesting I came across and it kind of struck me and I'll make this as brief as I can and I think it'll be a little brief than shorter than the previous point, but listen, you got to live up to the transformation that you profess. Right? I'm a new creation. I belong to God. I'm a saint. I'm not a sinner. Let's start living like it. But it's so hard. It's, it's so difficult in this world and the pressures. Start living like it. I mean, start just, just shut up and do it. Sorry, but not sorry. Start living it. How many people are partaking in communion? How many people have gotten baptized? And then now they come to communion. And when you get baptized, what you're saying is you say, my old life is dead and buried. And now I have a new life with Christ. Isn't that what baptism says? How many of you have been baptized? And I mean, you're baptized and you meant it and it's the real deal and you committed and you promised and all of creation was the witness if you were outside and God's people and maybe others at Nintergrip Park or wherever you were and they witnessed that and you said, my old life is gone, it's buried, I'm alive with Christ and I'm a new person. That's what you said. And then when you come to the table every month here at New Hope Chapel and you take that bread and you take that cup, I'm going to lose my voice now because I'm yelling. What you're saying when you take that cup, you're saying, I live up to that claim I made at baptism. That's what you're saying. Because you're partaking every time and you're saying, this is my sustenance, this is my whole life, I rely on it, this is what's reflecting, I'm proclaiming the Lord's death, the gospel goes through me, I'm feeding on it, and it's coming out, all my energy is all about that. You're saying that I, I live up to this claim. And the way you do it is you keep relying on God's grace. You keep seeing yourself for who you really are and the true image of who you are in your heart of hearts. Listen, cast aside the former old ways. Maybe you're there. Maybe, you walk, maybe you're talking about it. You've talked. You professed a long time ago. You remind yourself every morning and you leave the house and you live like you fill in the blank. But it's not like a new creation. Cast aside the former way, the old life. You're a new person. And Paul tells us in Colossians to put on that new man. Clothe yourself with that newness of life who, that you have in Christ Jesus. 
And so cast that aside. Do it today. Do it now. It's intentional and it's something that you do in your heart of hearts and you purpose to do that. Do it every day. And then you take on new attributes. They've already been given to you if you're a child of God. And we can find those in Galatians chapter 5 as an example for one, for time's sake. But if you read verses 20 to 23 in Galatians chapter 5, and we know that Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? We're all familiar with that if you're a Christian. But the first two verses, 20 and 21, he lists all the work of the flesh. He lists the work of the flesh there. What's going on? And then in verse 22 to 23, he lists the new attributes or the fruit of the Spirit, the new life that we have now, and what that looks like and how it's displayed and and, and, and what's happening and coming out of our lives. Take on those new attributes. Put aside the old stuff. Verses 24 to 25 in 1 Corinthians 11 remind us that Jesus came in the flesh to shed His blood for our forgiveness. Keep reminding yourself of that and now walk worthy of that that you're a new person that you've been washed and don't do the old stuff you know what you know what it comes down to repent change course change direction i'm going to bring it up again in a little bit because that word is really important thirdly communion or the lord's supper challenges us to remember what is central to our faith i've already mentioned it but i'm going to repeat it again because that's something that, that communion does and the lord's supper does this is what it is Jesus is the Son of God who came to save sinners by His death on the cross in their place. It's all about the cross. It's all about Jesus dying and coming. That's what's central to our faith and that He rose again. And that's the message that honors God. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 32? That if the Son of Man be lifted up, He's going to draw all men to Himself. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what He said. He was, and he was comparing himself to when Moses raised that serpent in the wilderness and they were being bitten. And all they had to do was look and believe and just obey that instruction that by faith you look. And if you just look to Jesus, he cleanses you and washes you and makes you clean. That's the gospel. Jesus was raised on that cross just as Moses raised the serpent in the wilderness. And we heard already during our time of praise and singing and worship through song that in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, the cross, is what it's all about in Christianity. And we're reminded of that when we take that bread and that cup. Not only that, He's the only hope for people who are lost. Acts 4.12 says, and the Apostle Peter said, there is no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved. There's only one name, and it's Jesus, the Son of God. There is no hope in Reformation, no hope in education, there's no hope in conferences and all kinds of things you can do. They might help, they might do, that's fine, I'm not poo-pooing them, but those things don't give you true hope and, and, and change in your life, ultimately. I read, I came across this, and again, I apologize, I don't know where, but I probably from a long time ago, it was in one of my, my, my folders in the office. Somebody was saying and, and declaring when they were writing, they were saying, socialism can put a coat on a person. They'll clothe them. We can provide the thing they need, right, for their body. But then someone else, while they were writing that and they were having a conversation, interrupted and said, yeah, but Jesus Christ can put a new man in that coat and that is way better. Woo! It's all about that. We're new creations, 
And we have to be renewed every single day. We're reminded that, of that in Romans chapter 12, that we renew ourselves every single day, that we lay ourselves down, renew our minds, we put ourselves on the altar. That's no fun, is it? Yeah, it is, actually. Because the best way to live is be on that altar and let God do whatever He wants with you. You'll always be good when you do that. Trust me. What I mean is you'll be set. He'll take care of you, right? So it's the only hope. It's it. And we've, we just got to remind ourselves, and it's a reminder when we do communion, that the central thing to our faith is Jesus, and we celebrate that and His death on the cross for our sins. Fourthly, really quickly, communion or the Lord's Supper challenges us to partake in the right attitude. Well, we've already kind of talked about that. We've already kind of addressed that. We've heard that a little bit. But listen, you've got to come, you've got to approach the table with humility and with gratitude. Those are the two things that we need when we approach the table, when we approach this cup and and this bread. And you know what you do? If you're going to be humble and you're going to be grateful, you're going to acknowledge the wrongs that you've committed. I've mentioned this, but I'll mention it again. Because we can... Repeat this over and over again. We've got to be repenting and confessing and being made right with God because He invites us to do that all the time, over and over and over again. And we do this through confession. And you know what? You have to be specific. God, thank You that You died for me. I'm holding the cup and the bread in my my hands. Forgive me all, all my sins. Amen. And you walk away, and then that lustful heart is still boiling and overflowing as you walk out, and you're right back into the same old crud. Name it, list it, give it to God, He'll wash it away. He's not afraid of your sin. He can't stand it. He's not afraid. He's greater than your sin. His grace is greater. He, can ta- he conquered that. He can take care of that. Give it to Him. Acknowledge the wrongs you've committed, not just those sins, but... Also, by seeking forgiveness of those that you've wronged. Who have you wronged? To what extent? It doesn't matter. You've wronged them. Make it right. Seek forgiveness for those you've wronged. And we can wrong people in many, many ways, and I will not go into all the ways because I think we know because we've all done it. And we still do it because, well... We're people. That doesn't excuse it whatsoever that we're people. But we give it to God. Acknowledge all the things you've done wrong. But also, you know what? If you have the right attitude, you're going to forgive those who offended you. That you've been wronged. In Mark chapter 11, verse 26, and the Lord's, the Lord's prayer, right? Jesus said, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Right? God's forgiveness is dependent on it. He mentioned, Jesus himself said that if you don't forgive those who've wronged you, it's going to be hard for you to be forgiven. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. It goes hand in hand. And failure to do so, when you don't do this, when you don't acknowledge the wrongs, the sins you've committed, and you don't forgive others that have sinned against you, and you fail to do that, you make a mockery of the Lord's Supper. That's what you do. You, listen, this is what you do if you do that, if you're holding that. You claim Christ's body and blood for your forgiveness, but you will, but you will not do the same thing. Right? At the same time, what you'll do is you refuse to grant that same forgiveness to others. 
I take the cup and the blood, and it's for me. And then it's, but you won't grant that for someone else. God help us to not do that. That's a wrong attitude. And we've got to examine and look at who we really are in our heart of hearts. Now it comes back to this, and we're going to have communion in just a moment. We've got to examine ourselves. Paul finishes that way. Actually, the whole thing's about examination. The whole thing's about us evaluating and analyzing and looking and letting God, the Holy Spirit, and His Word, the truth, just pierce us. And as we go and measure ourselves against God's Word, we realize that we've got a lot to look for to make right in our lives. And God helps us with that. In verse 28, Paul says, so let a man examine himself. Notice that the focus is on ourselves. Let a man examine himself. The focus is on me. If you come to communion, if you come to church, if you come to any relationship, and all you do is constantly look out and you see the wrong in everybody else but never see it in you, it's a horrible way to live. It's, I will, it is not a godly way to live. Looking across the dinner table and seeing the wrong with somebody across the table will do you no good in examining yourself. None. Compare yourself instead to the standard of God's Word. And what does it say about your condition? What does it say about your attitude? What does it say about your behavior, your sin, and so on and so forth? Does it line up and is it consistent with the righteousness of Christ? Repent and recalibrate. Don't wait. I guess it does come full circle to what I said earlier. Don't wait. Your destination depends on it. It does. Your journey depends on it. Change course and recalculate your life with God's positioning system. His God's position, GPS, uh, I mean, come on. It's old school, but come on. It's God's positioning system right here. This is God's positioning system. It tells us whether we are going the right way or not, and we need to recalibrate and recalculate and realign ourselves to make sure we're on the right trajectory, path, and direction all the time. Take that Word of God. You know, in Amos chapter 7, the prophet in the Old Testament said something. Some of you might be familiar with this, and if you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. But God's people were way off course. They were doing things that were displeasing to God. They were disregarding everything that God expected of them. And you know what Amos said, and God said there, that he, was, he had this plumb line. You know, you, you can, you, there's a plumb line, and it's always true. It's always perfectly vertical. And if you're a construction person, right, you're building things, and, and what a carpenter, whatever you are, and if you set that plumb line, you can try to mess with that. If you take that and you move it over, your work is going to stink. It's going to look horrible. It's not going to be good. It'll fail in the end. It won't be true. It won't be consistent with that which is perfect. Right? And so he says his plumb line. Listen, the thing about God's plumb line, and his plumb line is his word, his standard, right? There's no negotiating. Well, you know what? What if that plumb line was just half a degree to the left? Let's do it. 
No, because it could affect the entire structure or project that you're building. It could affect your entire life, in fact. There's no changing with culture or your opinions when we talk about God's plumb line. It doesn't change. Ever. So here's the thing this morning. Your life is either plumb, in other words, it lines up with what God's line says is straight, or it's crooked. It's unrighteous. And we have an opportunity at the Lord's table to line ourselves up, to recalibrate, to repent, to give it all to God, to search deep in our heart and find those things with the help of the Holy Spirit and His Word and say, that area in my life is so crooked, and if I keep going that way, I'm in trouble. Don't wait. Don't wait. We have often heard the illustration, and I want to ask the ushers, and I ask the praise team as well, to come and take their place on the platform. And they're going to place the communion trays up on this altar. But we have often heard that example, right? We've talked about it with other guys in the church and whatnot. You take an airplane, and if you're flying from New York to Seattle, and you are just, you know, when you're, when you're doing all your, you're, you're entering all your coordinates and everything, and you are just a quarter of a degree off, and you're going to fly that 3,000 miles, you're going to be way off track in the end. You're going to end up in an entirely different city, maybe even Canada. You'll be off track. The longer you go when you're not plumb, the longer you go when you're not calibrated to the standard, and it's true and it's right, and it's the perfect path that God wants you on, the more likely it is you'll be way off course as you go on and on and on. You drift further and further and further from where you're supposed to be. You guys can put those down and spread them out on the altar. Thank you for that. Thank you for doing that. Your life is either plumb or it's not. Jesus and the Holy Spirit want to make it plumb. Straight, right, according to His way, and righteous. We're going to hear a song. And we're going to reflect on these things that I mentioned this morning. We're going to look into our hearts. How are we partaking? Are we just flying through it? Do we really care? Are we doing it with understanding? intentionality to let God and the Holy Spirit help us to examine ourselves and make things right and to forgive and to to correct things and repent and change course. There's a whole bunch here I mentioned. Maybe something touched you and you you just can't shake it. Let the Holy Spirit could work it in your heart. When you're ready and you're in alignment, you can come and you can partake. It might be while they're singing, It might be after they're singing. But I want to encourage you to take the time before you come to take these challenges to heart and be right with God and others so that we can really enjoy the richness of the Lord's Supper. Amen? Lord, search deeply. Lord, help us to let you search and dig deeply in our hearts. Lord, your desire is our good and your glory that we would be, Lord Jesus, on the path that leads to life and we would stay on that path. 
And so, Father God, I pray that we would take these challenges, these calls that we find in communion, Lord, and we would apply them to our lives and we would act on them and that we would, Lord, straighten ourselves out with you, so to speak, and allow you to straighten us out. Lord, we bow to you. We surrender to you. We give you ourselves. And we thank you that you came for us, shed your blood, died for us to wash away our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.